91, let's read this one more time. It says this, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snares of the fowler and from the perilous uh, pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers. And under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor by the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befile you, nor any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set, on, set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to our hearts. And I pray that this morning that we would not leave the same way that we came, but that we would leave delivered and changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Well, glory to God. Amen. You know, the Bible says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I'm excited to be in God's house this morning. Amen? You know, we ought to be excited to be able to come and just share with God's people and to worship with each other and to encourage each other and uh, spur each other on as the day is approaching, which the book of Hebrews tells us when he tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, I'm excited to be here this morning. As you know, last week we started um, a brand new series entitled Excess Baggage, things that we don't want to take with us into the new year, uh, things that were a part of our culture and a part of the national fabric and moral of our country, uh, things that have been propagated, problems and discouragement and anxiety and fear, and all of those things. We've talked about what we wanted to leave behind so that it does not weigh us down. How many of you would agree with me that when you let some things go in your life, it makes it much more easier to run the race? Hallelujah. I believe the same thing. So this morning, that's exactly what we are going to talk about. You know, life is filled with choices. Everybody say choices. In fact, most people would agree that your life experience is a result of the sum total of our choices. And because uh, there are some things that you cannot control that happen to you, but you can control how you respond to them. And so in that response, our life is 
a culmination of our responses and our choices. And in 2020, everybody knows what happened in our nation, the chaos. 2021 was like a, a part B. It brought uncertainty, and with uncertainty, it brought fear. And that fear that has been released in the world has done its best to cripple the morale of our nation. It's, been the, uh, it's tried its best to cripple our economic structures, and in many ways, it has exceed, exceeded. And I'm convinced that it has even taken a hold of some of God's people. This morning, I'm talking about the enemy of fear. And today, I want to talk about facing fear. Can everybody say that with me? Facing fear. See, you can't conquer what you're unwilling to confront. And you have to face it dead center when it's rearing its ugly head at you, and you have to face it with assurity and confidence because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, over the last few weeks, I've been watching um, some videos on uh, YouTube kind of looking at some things that reminded me of my childhood. There was actually a couple of video series that uh, were about things that were popular in the 80s and things that were popular in the 90s, and it was interesting. I forgot many of those things even existed. Some of the toys that we played with, some of the songs that were out. And uh, if you've ever uh, done a study, if you are, you know, or a little bit of research, if you're above the age of 30, you know, you're 35, 40, 50, 60, whatever age you are, go back and look at what was popular in the year that you were born. And I'm telling you, it's crazy what you begin to find out. Well, in that, I begin to see a lot of these hit songs that were, ex that were very popular when I was a, uh, a, a, an infant, when I was a toddler. And so that took me down this other rabbit trail of bands who were one-hit wonders. And anybody know what I mean when I say a one-hit wonder? They had one good song, and that was it. I mean, when they cut a CD, the hole wasn't even in the middle, praise God. <laughs> they messed it up. They had one good song, and that was it. And I got to thinking about fear and I got to thinking about um, how fears tried to dominate our culture. And here's what I came up with. If fear was an artist, what if would be its number one single? If fear was an artist, what if would be its number one single? How many of us have ever heard the what if song? It goes something like this. What if we don't have enough? What if I lose my job? What if my spouse leaves me? What if I get sick? You know, I don't want to make light of the current situation in the world today caused by COVID-19, and I don't even like to say it a whole lot, but the truth is, is that this virus has released something that is greater than the virus itself, and it is the virus of fear. Here's how crazy it is. You ready for this? Some people are so scared of the virus that they had rather get the vaccine. And there are some people who are so scared of the vaccine, they had rather get the virus. Come on, somebody. It seems to me like fear is the central focus in all of this. And the truth is, we have a choice to make going forward from this day forward. We can't do anything about the past. All we can do is learn from it. But going forward, we've got to realize that we have to make a choice not to walk in fear. 
Because fear and fear-mongering, what that does is it causes you to lose your peace, lose your hope, and lose your joy. And God does not want us to walk around as the children of God and the people of God, full of fear, fretting and full of anxiety. He wants us to walk in faith. Hallelujah. Full of the Word of God. Full of the answers that the world is looking for. And so you and I have to realize that if we're going to walk forward, we're going to have to turn off the radio, turn off the cassette player for some of you older folks, turn off the 8-track, kill the MP3 of what if, and get into the Word of God and see what God has to say about the circumstance. God wants us to live a life not paralyzed by fear, but fully devoted to the plans and the purposes of God. That's what God wants us to walk in this morning. Psalm 91, many of you have heard that passage before. Theologians are actually uh, very divided on who wrote Psalms. Some people actually believe it was a Psalm of Moses. Uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek, one of the Greek translations of the Old Testament, actually uh, puts that as David, but, so they're divided. But I tend to lean a little bit towards Moses because of the context. Moses and the people of God lived under the cloud of God's presence. Uh, Moses as well walked through Egypt when the plagues were released, the ten plagues. And, and I don't know if you remember, but uh, although they were the plagues in Egypt, the Bible says there was a darkness, gross darkness in the land, but there was light in Goshen. God kept the light on for the children of Israel in the middle of the plagues. And so as you begin to read Psalm 91, it seems to me like it is a, a statement or a declaration, if you will, of God's faithfulness in the middle of difficult times. And this morning, as we're looking at how to overcome fear and how to face fear, we've got to see what God's Word says about it and actually understand that if we're going to deal with fear, we've got to face it head on. So the first thing, if you're looking at notes or you're taking them this morning, I like to take my own notes, write this down. Number one, it's a question, what is fear? Before you can deal with something, you have to know what it is. What is fear? Well, Oxford Dictionary says it like this. says, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat. That's the main, actual main um, definition. Now, that there is a fear that is holy and reverent and, and full of awe. That's not what we're talking about today. Not the fear of God. But in this aspect, what is the definition of fear? It's that unpleasant emotion, that dread, that anxiety, that worry that comes about circumstances and situations that cause threat or pain to our life. Here's another thing that you can see that's important. Theologically speaking, when we look at fear, what is fear? Theologically speaking, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the polar opposite of faith. So to live a life of faith, right? God, how many of you believe God's called us to live a life of faith? You want to believe God called us to live a life of faith? Go look at Abraham, whom the Bible calls the father of our faith. And Abraham is called to leave his, his country, leave his family, leave his father's house and go to a place where God would show him. And Abraham is walking, uh, step in steed with God. God's talking to him as he would talk to a friend. It, it's an amazing thing. And so God has just given him a promise. I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you. So what does it mean to live a life of faith? To live a life of faith is to live with the assurance and trust in God's character and God's promises. 
I love the way Smith Wigglesworth said it years ago. And then R.W. Sandbach, the great evangelist, picked this up. And uh, he kind of continued it on. He said, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. How many of you know that's a life of faith? That's the life of faith. God's Word gives us faith. It helps us to understand who He is. And when we live a life of faith, we live a life walking out the dictates and mandates of God's Word. When I'm getting my directives for life, I've got to make sure that I'm getting my directives from this book right here, from the Holy Spirit. Not from the CDC, not from the WHO, come on somebody, not from Dr. Fauci, come on. i got to get the dictates in my life from the Word of God. Now God, listen, all of these things are, are earthly things, but here's the thing. How many of you know they change? Anybody, anybody see some change? 15 days to 600 and something days. Come on now. Coming up on it. Uh, you know, quarantine 14 days. Now, now you got to quarantine for five days. And, you know, all of these different things. Listen, all of those things are changing and they are evolving. And you cannot have faith in something that is changing as the sinking of the sand. But there is one thing, my friend, that is unfailing and it's the unchanging word of the living God. And the Bible says his word is like a hammer that crushes the rock into pieces. His word is a solid rock, and in it we can depend. So this morning, what am I trying to tell you? When we're looking at what does it mean to live a life of faith, it's living with the assurance of God's promise that God is going to do what he said he would do. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that you're necessarily believing for comes to pass. Scripture tells us in Hebrews 11, in the hall of faith, they died not having received the promise, but they lived their life looking for a homeland, a place where there was a city that was not built with the hands of man, was built by the hands of God. But they lived in faith. And friends, not only are we to live in faith, but let me just tell you this, we are to die in faith. The just shall live by faith. So that's what it's like to live a life of faith. So we have to ask ourselves a question then. What does it mean to live a life of fear? Um, to live a life of fear is to live with hesitancy, with anxiety, and the dread of what could happen. I've never been a great big country music fan, although my mother kind of raised me on that. I heard it just involuntarily. But there was a hit song some years ago, and one of the lines in that song went something like this, try not to think about what might have been, <laughs> because that was then, and we've taken different roads. And you know what? When we get full of walking in fear, it's the what ifs. What if this would have happened? What if that would have happened? And we walk with the hesitancy and an anxiety and a dread of what could be. Here's what fear does. Fear and worry are first cousins. They rob you of your peace today in anticipation of what may happen tomorrow. Friends, listen, tomorrow, let me give you another country song. Tomorrow might not ever come. Hallelujah. The Bible said life is like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And how many of us are wasting our present, worried about a future, about things that may not ever come into manifestation? Fear. 
It's an acronym. False evidence appearing real. The enemy plants thoughts and, and things into your mind and it gets you to worry about things. You know how powerful your mind is? There was a study some years back about an experimental treatment drug. And anybody of you know the way it's supposed to go, everybody say it's supposed to go. We've learned it's not like that anymore, but the way it's supposed to go when they test new drugs or new things, there has to be a very long study. And in this study, it's vast age groups, vast people, vast things, and, and they have different categories. And if it's a pill, they do something called a placebo pill. And they gave this guy who was dying this placebo pill next to somebody who had the same thing, and they gave him the real pill. The guy who had the real pill had a very negative mindset. And the treatment didn't work on him at all. In fact, it seemed that he got worse. Yet the person who had taken the placebo miraculously began to improve and to get better. Why? Because that pill gave him some hope. Even though that hope was not real. Even though there was nothing in that pill but sugar and, 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 and some type of artificial chemical. That pill gave him a point of contact to believe there can be healing. There can be a better tomorrow. And just the fact that his mind began to think outside of the negativity of what could be. One man was planning his future. The other man was planning his funeral. Come on somebody. What you give your attention to drives whether or not you walk in fear or walk in faith. I refuse to live a life of fear. Fear paralyzes you. Fear causes you not to move forward. Fear causes you not to step out and do the things that God has called for you to do. What if what if, what if? I love Abraham's story. We're going to get into Psalm 91 more in a minute. But I love Abraham's story because the Bible says that God told him to get out from your country. Get out from your family, your father's house, and go to a land where I will show you. And God didn't show Abraham, or rather God didn't tell him where he was going. When he was speaking, God didn't say anything. He just said, Abraham, follow me. And as you follow me, I'll give you the instructions along the way. And church, isn't that how we are sometimes? We want God to tell us everything up front. And I'm going to tell you, the reason why God doesn't tell us everything up front, because we'll start singing the what if song. Well, what if they don't pay enough? Or what if they don't have this? Or what if they don't have that? Or what if all of these unknown things? God doesn't want your what if. He wants your obedience. He wants your obedience. Fear causes us to be paralyzed. So folks, we've got to ask ourselves, after we've already established what is fear, we've got to establish this fact before we get into how to deal with this. Where does fear come from? Well, 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul's words to Timothy, his spiritual son, says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And so we know that fear doesn't come from God. God doesn't give us fear. Not this ungodly kind of fear. So where does fear come from? It's important to answer this question. Well, if fear is the opposite of faith, and we're doing a comparison here, then let's look. We're going to ask ourselves the question, where does fear come from? 
then we need to ask ourselves the question, where does faith come from? And here's what Romans 10, 17 tells us about faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I always thought it was interesting that it says it comes by hearing and hearing. See, Jesus talked to his disciples often. He would say, again, I say unto you. Amen. How many of you know sometimes you, you, you shouldn't have to, but you do. Sometimes you have to tell your kids twice. I mean, God did it to us, didn't he? Again, I say unto you. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if faith comes by hearing and faith is the opposite of fear, then how does fear come? Fear comes by hearing and hearing the lies of the adversary and giving in repetitively to the thoughts of our mind. Fear comes the opposite way, yet the same way of faith. If you keep hearing and hearing and hearing these things, it will cause your mind literally to go crazy. Some of the best things people could have done over the last two years is turn off the news. Seriously. Because this network is saying this, and this network is saying that. And don't, don't mistake me. I've got friends who work in the medical profession. We've got people here in our church who work in the medical profession. I know people personally who've died with COVID. I'm not saying it's fake, although it's eerily, creepily, looks like the flu, though it's probably a bit more contagious. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is this. I believe the church has focused more on WebMD than Web Jesus. And we focus more on what the world and what the, the shifting sands of the doctors have said about this thing rather than focusing on what God has said. As a consequence, there are people who have barely left their house in two years. They are exactly paralyzed in the fact that they will not turn to the right. They will not turn to the left. They have been paralyzed in fear. Let me tell you something, my friend. Don't take this the wrong way. But if you're afraid to live, you're dead already. You're wasting space. Hallelujah. God's not called us to survive. He's called us to thrive. He's called us to walk in faith of His purpose and His plan. Fear does not come from God. Fear comes by focusing our attention upon the wrong thing. Whoo! I'm preaching better than y'all shouting this morning. How much news do we watch in comparison to reading God's Word in prayer? How much WebMD? First time we get a symptom, rather than go to the Word and read healing scriptures, we go to WebMD and go to cross-referencing. Well, if I got this and I got that, maybe it's this. Listen, I'm, I'm, I understand. I've been there. I've done it. But let me just tell you, the more I focus on what's wrong, the less I focus on what's right. And I've got to choose in that moment, what am I going to build my faith upon? Am I going to build my faith upon the rock of God's Word? Or am I going to build my faith upon the shifting sand of what the world has to say about my situation? Number three, how do we face our fear? This is where Psalm 91 comes in. It's a beautiful passage. And for the sake of, of time, I'm not going to reread every verse of that again, but I'm going to go through and I, I've got some things on the screen for you. How do we face fear? Because fear comes 
I talked about discouragement last week. You can't keep the thoughts from coming. It's what you do with them. If you focus on it, if you dwell upon it, you'll never do anything productive for God. In fact, you'll go backwards. You'll stand still. So here's what we do. How do we face fear? Here's one thing I put in here. You have to take your place. You've got to take your place. What is Psalm uh, 91 verse 1? It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. If you're going to face fear, one of the things you're going to have to do is you're going to have to learn to take your place. What do I mean by take your place? You've got to take your place under the shadow of Almighty God. You got to take your place under the shadow of Almighty God. I remember reading the Exodus story, how the children of Israel, you know, uh, were in Egyptian bondage and, and God protected them because they were underneath the shadow of the Most High God. Listen, there was hell in Egypt, but they didn't get held on. There was blood in the Nile River, but it did not affect their sustenance. There was frogs that were released all over the place and lice and other types of plagues, and it did not affect them. Why? Because they were under the shadow of the Almighty God, and they had to put their trust in Him. Can I tell you, fear begins to dissipate when we place our trust in the hands of God. Fear begins to dissipate when we place our trust in the hands of God. So we've got to take our place. Here's the second thing. We've got to verbalize your trust in God. You've got to verbalize your trust in God. Notice this, notice this, notice this. Verse number two, he says, I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge. He is my fortress. In my God, my God, in Him, I will trust. I, I want you to notice when fear runs upon you, not only do you take your place, but you've got to change what you're saying. So many of us like to talk about the fear, talk about the problem, talk about the prognosis. But what does he say here? He says you, when you, things are going difficult in life, you've got to get under the shadow of Almighty God, and you need to say, the Lord is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. And in Him will I trust. Friends, when you're going through dark valleys, when you're going through seasons of fear, if you want to kick this thing to the curb and tell it to go take a hike somewhere, you've got to begin to speak out loud your trust in God, your confidence in God. You know what? When the enemy comes and brings the thoughts of despair and worry and fear of tomorrow, you know what you got to say, devil? I don't know what holds tomorrow, but I know in whose hand tomorrow is. He is the hand of God. And listen, if I'm with him, all will be okay. You got to hold to the hand of God. You got to verbalize your trust. Why? Because you need to hear it. You'll say, well, I'm just not going to say anything. No, 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 no. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You got to open your mouth and say something. Speak it out loud. Verbalize. He is my God. And in Him I trust. You need to hear it. Those around you need to hear it. The spiritual realm needs to hear it. It's important. You gotta verbalize your trust in God. Then here's the next thing. Look at verse 4 with me. I love this. 
It says, uh, he, shall, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. He's speaking in, um, in, a, in a very figurative form of how a hen protects her chicks. But notice this. I love what he says right here. He says, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Here's the, here's the next way on how you get a handle of fear in your life. You've got to let truth be your shield. You've got to let truth be your shield. Now, let me ask you a question. What is truth? Scripture says, thy word is truth. His word is truth. Now, we have the sword of the Spirit in the Bible, correct? In the armor of God in the book of Ephesians. Okay, we've got the armor of God, and, and so we've got the armor, and, and, and the armor of God, the, the sword, in that particular aspect, it is both an offensive and a defensive weapon. In other words, you can go at the adversary in an offensive way with the sword, and you can go at your adversary in a defensive way, protecting with your sword. But notice what he said here. He said, let truth be your shield. Now, this is interesting. Because Paul, when he's writing about the armor of God, he says, and take up the shield of Romans 10, 17. Where's faith come from? By hearing and hearing the word of God. How do you face fear? You've got to let truth be your shield and your buckler. When the enemy and the adversary is coming against your mind, you have to know the word of God so you can pull from the treasury house of Isaiah and say, no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper and no tongue that arises up against me shall be able to condemn for this is the heritage of the servant of God. When the, when the enemy begins to rise up on you, when symptoms begin to overtake your body and, and you, you quickly realize my mother had those symptoms right before she got Alzheimer's and, and you begin to think of my dad had this right before his heart attack and the enemy begins to fire those darts at you what do you do you take out the shield which is your buckler of truth and you say no 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 no. it might be in my bloodline but it stops in the blood of Jesus and you got to stand upon the word of God and let truth be your shield the problem is so many of us don't have any armor on to fight with we are victorious folks Here's the next one. Are you ready? I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. Here's the next one. The next thing you've got to do is you've got to refuse fear. You've got to deny its access. Don't entertain it. Don't open it up. Don't open up the door to your house to fear. Don't fix it a meal. Don't fix it a cup of coffee. Don't sit down and have a telephone chat with it. You've got to learn how to refuse fear. Look at Psalm 91 and let's look at verse 5. Um, notice this, verse 5 through 10. He says, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. I love this. You know why? Because it does not deny the reality of these things that are happening. Israel walked through it. The plagues were real. The stuff was real. And here's what he was telling them. You shall not 
be afraid. He didn't say you might not be or you shouldn't be. He, said, he just said you shall not be afraid. It is a command. He is telling them do not fear. And then look at what he says. I love this. He says in verse number 5, he said don't be afraid of the terror by night. By night. I don't know how many of you have ever stayed the night in a large city. I have multiple times and travels and different things like that and have stayed with missionaries in very sketchy parts of town where when you go to bed at night, you hear gunshots. And if you were afraid, you wouldn't be able to go to sleep at night. But notice what he says. He said, you're not going to fear the terror at night. You know, one of the greatest things that keeps people up at night that uh, is complained to, to counselors and kids and things like that is nightmares, night terrors. The enemy gets in their dreams and at night they think of ungodly, horrible things and, and they wake up, uh, you know, with this uh, mentality of they've been killed or somebody's been kidnapped or whatever and, and they're afraid to sleep. They're afraid to be at peace. But the Bible says you've got to refuse fear. Don't be afraid of what's in the darkness at night. Then notice what he says. Nor of the arrows that fly by day. Nor of the arrows that fly by day. You know, I think about soldiers. A little bit of a different context, but if you've ever had to go out to war, and you've had to walk into a war zone, and you know that just stepping out of here, there's a possibility that a bullet may graze by you. But that's the price you're willing to take and that's a, you've already made up in your mind that that's okay with you and you, you don't have to let fear paralyze you because if a soldier, the reason why they're so hard on soldiers in basic training and they get in their face and they make them to the point of where they want to quit and they break them down is because they've got to get the toughness in them and the quit out of them before they get to the field of battle because if they walk out there with any ounce of fear, they're already dead. So you've got to refuse fear. You shall not be afraid of the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that flies by day. Watch this. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. You could say it like this. The pestilence that's unseen. You know what we've heard of for the last couple of years over and over and over again? The unseen enemy. The unseen enemy. The unseen enemy. Well, here's what the Bible says. Do not be afraid. It doesn't say don't be aware. It doesn't say don't be knowledgeable. It says don't be afraid of the pestilence that walks in the darkness. Nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. For a thousand may fall at your right side, and t- or a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Here's what Moses, I believe, was trying to verbalize in this passage to himself and to the children of God. Listen, if we're, God's going to deliver us, God's going to bring us out of this, and he's promised to protect us, and if we stay close to him, listen, we focus on what he's doing, he is going to bring us out, and he's not just going to bring us out in defeat or with our tails between our legs. He's going to bring us out with a shout of victory. Refuse fear. Here's the next one. And I'm getting ready to land this plane. This one is found in verse 
Number 14. He says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. The next thing is you got to change your focus. You can choose to focus on the chaos and the trouble, or you can focus on the steadfastness of God. Notice what he said in verse 14. Read it again. He says, I will be with him because he set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Listen to this. He says, but he shall call upon me and I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. you got to change your focus. I love referencing some of these classic songs of old. One of my favorite older songs is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus because it says, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of old shall grow strangely dim. You've got to change your focus. You know, one of the things that has been brought out to me is how many people that are Christians are afraid to die. They're afraid to die. Folks, the gospel is not just about going to heaven when you die, but it is a part of it. And, and, and we are living our whole life in anticipation for the transition to the afterlife. I'm going to be the first to tell you, if I die, don't you pray me back here. I believe the Bible doesn't say a lot about Lazarus because Lazarus probably said, man, what y'all doing? Man, why you bring me back here? Listen, my, my hope is in heaven. Now, I don't want to die and it be painful. You know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to, you know, necessarily get on the first boatload going, but that being said, I'm not afraid of death. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day. Where there is a place with no more sin and no more curse and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears and no more poverty and no more things like that. You and I are bound for heaven. We're bound for eternity. And we got to change our focus. People are so afraid to even live because they're afraid to die. I've got news for somebody. Everybody says follow the science. Everybody says the science is king. Here's the science for you. Unless you are Enoch, Jesus, or Elijah, the Bible says 10 out of 10 people die. And if you're like me and you believe the, that Moses and, and Eli, or Enoch are the two witnesses, then what, what you're going to find out is they're going to die and be resurrected. But it's appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews says. And then the judgment. So man, I'm, 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 I, I want to be careful with my life. I want to be a good steward of my life. And I want to do everything that God has called me to do. But if I don't change my focus... From what's around me to what's inside of me. If I don't change my focus into what's happening to me versus what's happening in me through Christ, then full of fear, anxiety, I go and I don't move forward. Here's the last one. We can close our Bibles and we can stand this morning. Here's our last one. How can we face fear? It's found actually... 
in verse number 15. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him, and I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him, and I will show him my salvation. Here's the last thing. How do you face fear? You've got to know that he hears and that he's present in trouble. You have to know that he hears and is present in trouble. Here's the thing, folks. Even in uncertain circumstances and moments of difficulty, even though we may feel like we are all alone, the Scripture says, He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. Not only does He hear, but He said, I am present. I'm thankful this morning we serve a God who hears. The Scripture tells us Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. His ear is not deaf that he cannot hear, Jeremiah said. And his arm is not short that he cannot reach out to you and save you. He hears. Jeremiah the prophet also said this. He recorded in his word. He said, call unto me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things. So what's another strategy for defeating fear? Call upon the name of the Lord. And you shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved just from heaven? Just from, just from hell to go to heaven? Not necessarily. Word saved in the New Testament is sozo. Total peace. Nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken. It encompasses deliverance. It encompasses healing. It encompasses spiritual salvation. It encompasses the healing of the mind. And I'm glad that when the world is falling on top of me, I can call on the name of the Lord. Because he said, I will hear them, I will deliver them, and I will be with them. This morning, if you wouldn't mind today, do me a favor right now and just close your eyes. Prayer team, if some of you would mind just coming this morning and stand across the front.